Welcome to the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast, where we explore what it means to grow daily and find our best in every aspect of life. Welcome back to another episode of the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast. I'm John Shirky here with my friend, my co-host, Jamie Wagner. Jamie, good to see you. Unbelievable to be with you today. Um, I, I know that we've been trying to do the what's been going well, what's been going poorly, but the episode is too good today. We'll, we'll Agreed. jump back in. Um, the conversation we got to have, it's actually a colleague of mine at Pelican Rapids High School, John Peter. He's the head girls track coach, the head boys soccer coach. They recently produced uh, a documentary about their soccer season called We Are From Pelican. And I would really encourage um, everybody to go and check it out. It's, it's an unbelievable look at the small town in western northwestern Minnesota that has a bunch of unique challenges to to host a soccer program right and then in the process we get into this in the conversation but jp has a moment that makes it even potentially more challenging for them to get through a a regular soccer season so i couldn't agree more jamie you sent it to me and i I, i'll be honest my first thought was like okay this is small town school student directed filmed all this stuff and i i had a pretty low bar when when you sent me that link and it blew me away it's incredible. Go watch it. Listen to this conversation. Um, and like you said, Jamie, we'll, we'll connect about our stuff, but this is really important and, and, um, appreciate you joining us today. You got anything else? I just, there is a, there is some time in here where we go deep on mental health and Hmm. I just want to encourage you. If there is anything that you are struggling with, that you're uncertain about that you're unaware of and that other people have mentioned, talk to somebody. Go seek out help, engage in that conversation that might be scary and challenging because it might end up changing your whole life. And, uh, that's, that's my encouragement out of the conversation. Obviously we talk about coaching and how to do this thing in an awesome way. Cause they do in an awesome way, but we get to some stuff that if you're struggling, seek help, please. Couldn't have said it better, Jamie. Coach John Peter, let's go. Usually John brings us in, but JP, uh, since we have a relationship, we kind of talked about me, me welcoming you today. I've gotten to know you over the course of the last, you know, really just the last month or so. Um, we've had some interactions and we actually taught at the same school this year, but we didn't get to connect because I was doing it virtually. We are so excited to have you on. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, we actually taught next door to each other. Like Which I didn't know. I had no idea. Yeah, well, I, I think, uh, you know, I knew then I would hear this deep voice coming through the wall of next door, even though you weren't there, you were virtual. And uh, I kind of feel like I don't have a deep enough voice to be on this podcast with you two, but we'll, we'll try and make it work. I'll see what I can do in the editing process, JP. Yeah. Let's, we'll see if we can deepen that up for you. It's all good. No, I, we had the, so the first time we've obviously competed, our teams have competed against each other in track meets and the state tournaments. And you're the head track coach at Pelican Rapids here in Minnesota, which has had unbelievable success. And, you know, we, we were in a a state final, a few state finals against each other. Um, And so we knew of each other kind of tangentially, but the first time we met, we sat and we had a conversation in the hallway and I'm just like, this is a guy and it was an hour long. I think we were both supposed to be teaching, but it was okay. Um, yeah, we won't, just, we won't but... tell our boss, but <laughs> if he might be listening. But um, <laughs> <laughs> the thing that struck me in that first conversation is how much alignment there is around not coaching, right? Not the physical schematic tools of coaching and making athletes better on the track or on the field or whatever it might be. But the fact that when we pour into people, we get more out of them. And that has nothing to do with athletics. How did you get to that place in, in your coaching? Um, like two kind of, I, I guess I would say like really important moments happened. Um, one was what should have been like the, everybody thinks of as like the pinnacle, right? Um, 2012, I had been working with a girl, um, Summer Howgrew, she's a really good sprinter for us. And for like three years, we had had this plan of like, how are we going to, you know, essentially win a state title? 
Um, and we had a long-term plan of how we were going to do it. And as a junior, she did it. She won the 200 and it was like the most unfulfilling experience that I have ever had coaching. Like you're supposed to be at the top of the mountain. Right. And I'm at the top of the mountain and I remember like she won and I walked down the bleachers at Hamlin university. And by the time my foot hit the bottom step, all I could think is how are we going to do this next year? Yeah. <laughs> and, and by the time I got behind the bleachers and back to where she was coming out, I was like, this is terrible. Like, why can't I enjoy this? Um, and then I really wrestled with that for like two years of yeah. like, how do I, how do I as a coach deal with this thing that like we're chasing this, this goal, right? Whatever it is, because every kid has a goal to get better. And, and every kid, even if they're, you know, running the hundred and seventeen seconds, we want to get them faster. And we have these goals that we're working towards, but like these goals are really unfulfilling ultimately. Um, and I remember hearing an interview with Tom Brady around the same time. And he was, they were like, why do you keep working hard? And he's like, cause I'm chasing, you know, I'm chasing something that I don't know what I'm chasing. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of how I feel. Um, and then in 2014, I had a, uh, a very average, um, uh, 100, 200 meter girl quit, uh, the team. And whenever kids quit, I always just very casually say, you know, why, why are you walking away? Like, I'm still going to say hi to you in the hall. Like, this is your choice. I don't really, to me personally, I don't care if you quit, you know? Yeah. And she just said, you don't, you don't care about every kid on this team the same way. And uh, that was one of the most like, you know, at the time, what do you do as a coach? You're just like, no, I don't. I care about everybody. And then, you know, you get the summer to digest it and you realize like, no, I, I don't care about every kid the same. And how do I reconcile that? And how do I fix that? And, and that was really when I shifted to everything's going to be relational based. Everything's going to be about the kid. Everything's going to be about getting to know all my athletes um, and then let's kind of see where it goes. Uh, and, and from there it just, you know, I, I tell the kids now when they come in day one, you know, your relationship with me and with each other is the most important thing. And the second most important thing is I want you to walk away having learned how to be healthy, how to be a healthy person, how to make healthy choices. If we can do those two things, like all your other success is going to happen. Um, but, but then as the, on a bigger scale, it really became about how do we create an environment where like a athletes, athletes know that they can, that they're loved. Right. And what happens when you're loved? Well, then you are in an environment where failure is okay. As long as you did your best and creating an environment where failure is okay. is like a, upside down paradigm, I think for a lot of coaches. Right. Um, and so that took a while for me to get my head around and for my athletes to get my head around, uh, to get their head around as well of like, look, this is a safe environment for you to absolutely try your best. Right. The other thing we talk about day one, whatever season, you got to be here every day. You got to show up, you got to show up every day and you got to try your best. And, and sometimes people hear you got to try your best and they think like foot to the floor every day. It's like, no, when we have a recovery day, you come in and you recover the way that is the best possible way you can recover. And if we're in the weight room, you're doing whatever that day's objective is the best you can. And then if you're trying your best and we get into competition um, and you try your best, but it doesn't work out, well, then let's go back and assess why it didn't go well, but you still yeah. tried your best and um yeah, sorry. I can get rolling here. And if you guys have stuff to jump in and follow up with, go ahead. No, it's awesome stuff. But so I want to go back to like the how, you know, you talk about creating an environment where people or kids feel loved and they feel safe and it, that failure is not only okay, but expected because that's yep. how we grow. So one of the things I hate to throw Jamie under the bus every time he does it, but um, right before we hit record, we were talking about your shirt. And if you're watching on YouTube, if you're not watching on YouTube, go watch our YouTube channel, Eyes Up Mindset. Um, but we were asking about your shirt because it's it's awesome. And, and then you started to tell us the story. And I think that's one of the ways that you have created or started to build relationships, not only with your athletes, but with the community and developing this safe environment. So 
tell us about the shirt and kind of what you were telling us right before we hit record. Yep. So, so my shirt right now, says one team, one family, but it's in Spanish. Okay. So it says, we're going to keep Owen familia, and we just put the number one. Oh, here we are. One, uh, because it's easier than writing Una and Una, but uh, we also had them in Somali and then we had them in English because in the soccer team, I coach, those are the three primary languages spoken on our team. And we wanted a way to like create, we're always trying to create community, whether it's within your team. Um, if you're not trying to figure out a way to also engage parents, uh, also engage just the community as a whole. And I know when you're in a big school, that can be harder. Um, but if you're, we're at a small school, right? Like our enrollment uh, for our high school, I think according to the high school league is like um, 240 around there. It's a small school and it's a small community. And how do you bring all that together? And especially in a community like ours, that's so diverse uh, and, and just simple ideas. Now, here's the other piece that we have to realize when we listen to a show like this, or we read books for professional development. Sometimes there are like, uh, you had the coach from Rocky Mountain last week, right? Yeah. And like, he's like, I never use the word family. Okay. Yeah. And I totally understand why he uses the word fam, never uses that word, but how why that is for him and why that works for him is totally different than why we would use family. I work yeah. with two cultures where family is the bedrock of everything we do. Yeah. And so if you can, you know, go to the Somali elder in town and hand him a shirt that says Hulk on it says one team, one family. And it shows like, look, man, I care about your kid. Just like you care about your kid. Yeah. We're all in this together. And how can I help you? Like that means something. And, and when you can go and, and, you know, say to the Hispanic family, look, I value family like you value family. And, and at the same time, recognize like some of our families are hot messes, right? <laughs> but we're going to try and create an environment where we're okay with everybody's hot mess and we can work through that together. Um, that's more on like a really big, big view of yeah. how we're trying to create community and try and create this environment where like you feel loved. And when people feel loved, that's a game changer, right? I think this word is not used nearly enough, right? Love. Mm -hmm. When you said it, love equals safety in some ways. And we, we know, right? As adults, we understand the hot mess that we come from yeah. and the hot mess that sometimes is our homes, the hot mess that sometimes is our relationships and our community. And we're okay with it. Right. We, under, we know because it's never perfect. But these 15, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 year old kids, whatever, or if we're in organizations, these 22, 25, 27 year olds that haven't yet figured out it's okay to be a hot mess. When you say we love, when we give you something as small as a shirt that says you are, you belong here because of this word that is hard to say, we get such a different outcome. And it doesn't like, the, the funny thing about it is it sometimes doesn't matter. You know, the, the thing that you talked about at the beginning, the, the mountaintop, the peak, that is sometimes really unfulfilling mm -hmm. because the, if it's just a thing on a checklist, it doesn't matter at all. But when you can combine it with deep belonging, now the, the joy of that moment is incredible. I'm thinking about the first time we won a state championship in 2015. I'm in Costa Rica on this school Spanish trip and it's the, I'm not there. And I get a kid calling me, FaceTiming me, bawling. And it's just like, ah, oh, we did it. We, you know, and it's like, that's the mountaintop actual experience. Cause I was just like, I don't think we're going to ever do this again. Right. I don't know that we're ever going to get here again. And she's not, she was a senior. So it's like, let's just enjoy it. You know, like, yeah. let's just have that fun. And I, I think that word, right. That word, love, passion, excitement, whatever it is, when you can I don't know the word need, right? Need it like bread into the dough of your, um, your programs, your organizations, you got, you got a leg up. You have a huge advantage. Yeah. You know, and, and as a, on a team level, when we talk about, um, I'll, I'll kind of go from like our community level yeah. and then our team level and then down to the individual. So on our team level, we talk a lot of times last thing, um, we always talk about in the bus before we get off is, like in track, I would say like the next four hours that happen here do not define your life, good or bad. Like this is not defining of your life. 
and, and what's in here and how you treat people and how you love your community. Those are the things that define who you are, but you're not defined like this is fun, right? <laughs> what we're going to do when we get off this bus and go to like, this is fun. That's all it is. And I, I remind them like tomorrow when we go to school, like 95% of the school won't even care what happened here because <laughs> they're all grinding away at their lives. Right. Yeah. And we forget that whether we're coaches or we're athletes, we think like whatever we have in front of us is the most important thing. And everybody else though around us is just trying to grind through life as well. And so the things like sports, they should be fun. Okay. And, and if we can do that, then we bring, you know, we, we talk in soccer a lot. One of my favorite quotes is our job is to bring happiness to people who don't have happiness outside of soccer. Okay. And that's one of my favorite coaches in the world, Marcelo Bielsa. He says it, but you think about that. Like you think about uh, our girls basketball team two years ago as the pandemic's about ready to slam the door shut on the world they win this crazy game yeah. to get to state and you look at what it did for our community and the hope it gave them and and yeah they got down to state and and the pandemic shut everything down but for that week that team brought a lot of happiness and joy to our community and yeah. and for our soccer team this fall what we were able to accomplish we're bringing a lot of joy and happiness during a pandemic that was honestly pretty crappy for a lot of people and a lot of those people didn't love soccer even, but we were the only team going, you know, um, because football hadn't started yet. And, and so we brought joy to a lot of people and we forget that that's, that's part of our job is to bring happiness. Um, whether we're playing sports or at your job, doing whatever, bring joy to people around you. So. That's so good. And so we, we've zoomed out to the community yep. level. We said, yep. love people at the team level, it's bring joy to the people around us. It's kind of that bigger yep. picture again. What do you do with individuals to make them feel safe and comfortable when they come to show up and say, I, if the job is give my best, here's how I get to my best. Yeah. So one thing we make sure we do every day or once a week and in soccer, it's more like once every two weeks, just because of our competition schedule. But I try and meet one-on-one -on -one, uh, at least once a week with every kid. Um, and it's not like a closed door meeting. We make sure, you know, it's all appropriate in that, but we, we meet 1v1. We talk about um, immediate things. You know, if we have a race coming up during the season or a meet, here's what you're going to be doing, okay, and here's why. Um, we talk about if there's problems to address. I really work hard to not – if somebody's having an issue, to not blast them in front of the whole team, uh, especially if it's something that can be addressed in person, you know because um, that kid's going to respond to that a lot better. Now, if there's something within the team setting that you need to address, like a tactical problem in soccer, we're going to address that during practice. But if it's, you know, why is this guy showing up late every day? I'm not going to rail on him in front of the whole team. We're going to usually just talk about it 1v1. Um, and then I tell him too, I'm like, if you're upset about something with me, come and yell at me in that meeting. Like, tell me how you feel. And the first time I tell kids that, especially like when we get freshmen and they've never had these meetings and I'm like, if you're upset with me, come and talk to me then. And you can, you can be honest with me and I'll sit there and listen to you. And I promise I won't try and rebuttal it. I'll just listen. That's a game changer for kids to know that like, I, I can be honest with this person and like, he doesn't think he's the king. Right. Um, and so much of the time we, as coaches, we're in this role of authority, right? And we get in the danger of thinking like we're the dictator. And there are times where we have to be, right? You have to be. Yeah. But there are a lot of times you don't have to be. And a lot of times where the growth happens is because we're being, we're being vulnerable enough ourselves to try and grow as a coach. And for the first like 10 years of my career coaching, I didn't allow the athletes to help me grow. You know, I relied on professional development and all that, which I still do, but I, the most valuable things that have really pushed me as a coach have come from athletes over the last few years. Yeah. Um, and then we, we talk about life and I tell them on day one, I'm like, look, there are going to be a lot of these meetings where we just come and talk about track or soccer, but at some point you're going to get comfortable enough where like, you're going to puke your life on me basically. <laughs> and we're, and we're going to try and we're going to have some things that we're, you're going to work through. Um, and we talked to like, if we meet today and you have something come up tomorrow, don't think you got to wait till it's your turn next week to come meet with me. Like pull me aside and let's talk about it. So, yeah. um, yeah, you know, and then that, those conversations kind of guide 
the rest of my staff and our expectations of the athlete. Um, obviously when you're coaching girls, some of those conversations, you know, can, can lead down other paths. Like, you know, if it's that time of month or whatever. And I would like, if you're coaching girls and you don't have those conversations with your athletes, like you're not valuing them as a whole person. Right. And some girls are never going to be comfortable enough to be like, look, I feel terrible because I'm on my period right now. Okay. And the first time we talk about it in front of the whole team and say, look, if you need, if, if you are the kind of person that this wrecks you for a week, be comfortable talking about it. And the ninth graders are all just like, he said, what? And all the older girls are like, yeah, it's fine. You know? Yeah. But if, if you're coaching females and you're not, you know, this is, so this is one of the books I'm reading right now. This is uh, roar by Stacy Sims. And it's all about female physiology, optimizing performance, all those things because like you're coaching a different human being than a male yeah. when you're working with females and once a month, they're totally a different human being. And so you need to be prepared to, to deal with that and not just th- tell them to push through. I think what you're talking about JP is so interesting because you, you have taken on a lot, right? You are, you're coaching a soccer team in a community that is the smallest independent soccer team in the state that has a, a huge, a hugely diverse population, including Muslim, Somali, and uh, Hispanic, right? Catholic, yep. right? So yep. you're talking about not only uh, diverse, culturally diverse, different parts of the world. These, some of these athletes are, you know, first year in country. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you have to learn different languages and understand and be respectful of different cultures. And now you're saying, okay, I'm also going to coach females, and you're open to this idea that is, I have to know and understand them where they are mm-hmm. so that I can move them to where we want to go. Right. And I have the expertise as an, as the coach to get us as a team, as individuals to compete and at your finest. But the thing that I would say, and this is more challenge than question. So I apologize. Yep. But for those of you listening, where, where is that? that you have to understand the person you're trying to direct in a different way, because if you don't, there will be limitations, you know, there's just going to be limitations. And that comes to this other idea, understanding yourself well enough to say, this is what I don't know. This is how I feel. And I struggle. Like, I don't know. And, and clearly that takes us to a little bit different point. You guys did an awesome documentary that gives you a picture of, um, of Pelican Rapids soccer right? Mm-hmm. What we yeah. just talked about, the, the diversity in the program, the diversity in the community. You have, you know, Una Kipa Una Familia shirt on right now that kind of embraces this idea that we are a diverse place with diverse challenges. And you guys created a soccer program out of nowhere. Um, you were the cross-country coach doing something that you've obviously loved. You ran cross-country and track in high school, ran cross-country and track in college, and yet you opted into being a first-time pro- program soccer coach what made you go there jp i don't like (laughs) um so i'm also the english as a second language teacher uh at the school here and and that that doesn't automatically mean i should be the soccer coach right (laughs) just because a lot of people see our team and they're like oh like those are your kids and i'm like well a lot of them used to be but most of my guys you know they're playing now have been here for they're they're almost second generation so um it kind of I didn't even start watching soccer till like 2014. Yeah. Um, and then going into that like school year, um, I had a whiteboard uh, and I had thought, you know, maybe I should write like the top 10 of the premier league on my whiteboard and like update it every week. And just like, as a way to engage my students, right. Again, like how do I make my classroom better? Well, yeah. at the time I had like, 30 boys all high school just like rabid soccer fans and so I started doing this premier league table on my board and they would come in every morning before school and just we would just argue about what was going on in the league right and it made me immediately be like I better start watching some premier league because I I need like the vocabulary and the conversation to have it and I'm listening to you know like BBC post-game podcast to like learn about like how am I going to talk about what Liverpool did this weekend with the guys um and by Christmas that year uh I had kind of come to the realization that like I think we need our own soccer team at the time we were co-oping with a private Christian school just down the road in Fergus 
Um, and we, we had about 10 or 12 guys participating with them, but there was a huge amount of limitations with that school from the point that it's a religious institution. So a lot of our Muslim students weren't comfortable going down there. Um, and then there was a half hour commute each way. And for a lot of these families that parents are working and they need kids home somewhat soon, it was, it was just not a great situation. And so, um, that spring, uh, I went to our athletic director during my track checkout meeting and I just said, Hey, he said, any, is there anything else you want to talk about? And I said, yeah, I think we need our own soccer team. Um, and he was like, oh yeah. And, and we had a good, and his son was the only white kid playing from Pelican Rapids down in Hillcrest. So he like kind of caught the vision right away. And two weeks after that conversation, um, the private Christian school sent us a letter saying they wanted to change the agreement and basically continue the partnership, but not have us recognized in the name anymore. Um, and like, I, I understand why they wanted to do it, but when you say in today's culture to a whole group of people who are not white, that we don't want to recognize you by name, it's really yeah. problematic. Yeah. I mean, and, and it just in general, like names matter, Yeah. you know, like your name matters and who you are matters. And like, if we're going to talk about everybody needs to be seen telling somebody that their name isn't okay, that's really that's, you know, that's not who we are. Right. And yeah. so, um, our athletic director, Derek Nelson got a, a letter from Hillcrest and he came to me and he said, how far down this road do you want to go? Uh, and I said, well, you know, if, if I need to be the soccer coach to, to make this happen, I'll do that. And mainly because I just believed so strongly that this was going to be an opportunity to engage a huge amount of our town's population or our school's population. It's not like they were playing football. And they yeah. were going to come play soccer. And it's not like they were running cross country and they were going to come play. They weren't doing anything. And, mm. and, and we know when kids get involved in athletics or any activity, it keep their grades increase, they're, they're getting in trouble decreases and just their connection to the school goes way up. And so it was just an opportunity to get kids involved. And uh, yeah, it was the first couple of years were rough because so I, I didn't know what I was doing, you know? <laughs> well, and that's, that's where I want to go with this because, you know, watching the documentary and not that this was a huge part of it, but they, they definitely touch on the fact that when they announced that our cross country coach <laughs> who never played competitive soccer, like yep. is now going to be the, the leader of this brand new program. Um, there were some people in the community maybe that were like, and maybe not. No, they were. so so maybe you could talk about that too but like they're like wait who's gonna be the coach and why did he get the job and i love your uh your quote and your response in there it's because i know how to coach Mm -hmm. right and i will figure out the technical stuff and tactical stuff and i i love that but go back to that time how did you manage and how did you stay focused on continuing to build a program, even when there was people questioning your ability and, and your uh, validity as this coach. Yeah. So like, I, I'm a terrible salesman, so I'll never be a college coach because I hate recruiting, but I did go college coach on this one thing. And that I told uh, our athletic director and I told anybody who would ask, I said, give me four years before you judge the product, mm. give me time. Like, and, and let me build the relationships. Let me build the youth programming. Let me do all these things that will get us to a point. I mean, part of it is we had to find an identity as a team. And I'm working with a team that like right now, the best example I can give is the Euros are going on in Europe, right? Which is kind of like the, if you split the world cup up, you've got like Copa America going on in South America right now. And you got the Euros going on in Europe. Those are, yes, it's soccer in both cases, it is vastly different in how it looks, right? They have the same rules and they're all 11 guys up, but it looks way different. And so you have very different styles. Uh, If you throw Central America in there, it's a totally different thing. Everywhere in the world, soccer's played differently. And now I've got this conglomerate of styles coming together and we got to find like, what is our identity? Um, And that took some time. Uh, Thankfully, like I said, our AD has been like, one of our number one supporters of just like this program needs time and it's going to get to where it needs to be. And he really believed in us. Um, I, I kind of, part of the reason I was so confident that first year with my, I'm a coach, I'll figure this out. You know, probably the most influential 
coaching book I've ever read is Athletic Development by Vern Gambetta, which isn't a specific sport book at all. It's a book about like, how do we make good athletes? Yeah. And he, you know, Vern's a track coach, but he's also been like the strength and conditioning coach for the White Sox. And he's worked with, you know, volleyball teams down in the Southeast. And he's all about, you got to look at what you're coaching and figure out what the demands are and go from there. And I kind of had that belief of like, let's figure out what has to happen here. And, uh, well, it's the same thing you were doing in your classroom where you said, how do I engage these boys? It's, it's, I'm going to put something that's maybe not comfortable for me right now. Yeah. I'm going to put that up there. And then all of a sudden you see that engagement and it's like, okay, now I got to, I got to figure it out. I got to have the language. I got to do the research and put in the time yourself. But, and a lot of it was just time like that, that first year I can remember I would get like a a soccer coaching book and I would read it and I would look at the diagrams. I'm like, I don't even know what these mean. (laughs) Like, I don't, I literally don't like, this is like reading a book in another language. And by year two, I was like, okay, I can kind of see what's happening. And then just, you know, slowly, you know, sharpening things up and, and chiseling away until we got to kind of year four. And, and I was just like, okay, I think I know what our identity is now as a team and how I want this to go. And, and um, that was when I started writing this uh, curriculum uh, that it's like 50 pages long and it's what I can hand to any coach coming into our program. Now it's what I can hand to the boys and say, this is how we play. And, And we, everything we do is taught off of that curriculum. So like if we have a session on, you know, pressing and the defense, they're going to have some reading to do with it that day going into it. They're also going to have a video to watch of either us doing it or some pros doing it. This is like, this is literally what we're going to do. And then they come to practice and they're really ready to roll. But that took time. Like those things didn't happen overnight. A lot yeah. of it happened between year four and five for some reasons we'll get into in a little bit probably. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it was just a learning, huge learning process. And then the, the trust process from the guys, you know, there's all these, and I mean, some of the guys, if you see the documentary, you'll see one of our best players. Now he goes, I was playing and I was like, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. (laughs) I loved, I loved that. And the cool part, and this goes to the culture you've created there too, is that he felt comfortable enough saying that on camera, knowing that you as his coach are not going to retaliate or take it out on him or take it personally, because Honestly, it sounds like you knew that's where you were. Right. I didn't know what I was doing. You knew where you wanted to go. Yeah. Yeah. And so like there was that piece. There was there was the piece of the guys who had played for the other school. And like they're coming from it's like when you go anywhere, when a guy transfers in college to another pro and you get there and you're like, this isn't at all what we were doing. And it just takes time to buy in. And and a lot of these guys had never even been in a sport. So part of the year one and two was just establishing like, look, when we get off the bus at this rest stop to get, to go to the bathroom, you can't all buy energy drinks and buy out the, the, like the vending machine. Like we got a game in a little bit, we got to take care of ourselves. And there's just those stories that, you know, we stopped at that rest station on the way to girls uh, track state this weekend and boys too, I guess. And a couple of the boys on the team were on that first soccer team. They're like, remember when we stopped here and everybody acted like they'd never been in public. And I'm like, yeah, like, and that's what it was like, you know, and you're just, those are the things when you're trying to build a program that take time. And obviously I wanted to win, like I wanted to win that first year, but it just, it wasn't going to happen. And it took time and you got to see the long view, you know? Yeah. One, one of my deep beliefs is that when we push ourselves outside of our comfort zone, our growth is exponential, right? It just, you have to go there. You have to get uncomfortable. And in year one, you guys weren't very good. You clearly struggled this year. You're in the section final. You are, you know, competing for a chance to be in the state tournament. Again, like I said, the smallest independent school in the state uh, to have a soccer team, the journey is worth it. How have you grown specifically around that? pushing your comfort zone yeah just a lot of like i said a lot of times seeing things long term and trying to not be in whatever the moment is good or bad you know um i think i think back so my very first year coaching um in track was 2005 i was at park christian i was still in college i got called out of the blue and they said we need you to come coach track Uh, and at park christian that's a private christian school and so like we had certain 
biblical requirements to follow up with too. And we had to have a, like a theme verse, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and of course, like, I can't just pick something like normal or cheesy, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, run with wings of Eagles or something. I'm like, no, I'm picking the verse in Job where he looks at his wife and he goes, should we take the good, only the good, or should we also look at what the bad that happens? Yeah. And, and that's been for me, like my whole coaching career has been kind of formed around that idea of like, look, there's good and bad all the time. It's about the journey. Um, and it gets back to like, you're not defined by any one thing. So yeah, those first couple of years, there were definitely games where I like wanted to tear my remaining hair out and, and scream. And there were other times where we'd win and, you know, you want to feel like you can go in the section championship and it's like, no, we got to just stay the course and focus on what we're doing. Um, and, and we talked, we talked quite a bit this season. We had a couple of injuries in track and, and the thing I told people is like, whatever happened here at the subsection meet or your injury, like that doesn't offset the last 11 weeks of hard work you did. Yeah. Like you're, you're a different person than you were 11 weeks ago. And that's, what's good. And, and I've continued to change as a coach as well. You know, I'm a different coach right now than I was March 29th when we started track. I'm a different coach than August 17th last year in, in soccer. And we keep learning. And, and I think where we get in trouble as coaches is when we're going through our season and we're, we're not taking those notes. We're not journaling. We're not trying to figure out what's going well, what's going uh, badly. Um, because it's really easy to focus just on the good. Um, and sometimes we can get in cycles where we just focus on the bad as well, but we got to, you know, this is all about long-term relationships. And I mean, we're kind of banging the same drum here at this point, but yeah. you see that there's kind of a theme through all of what I do. So in, in episode four of the documentary, we see the good and the bad, right? We yeah. see both sides of this thing and you were diagnosed with uh, a mental health diagnosis of, of bipolar disorder in the process of your soccer season. And your, your belief, this underlying belief that it is long-term, that it's not just good and the bad. I think you, you talk about the, the verse in Job, right? Mm -hmm. Having this perspective around your life has to be helpful in the downtime of that moment when you go through this diagnosis. So can you walk us through a little bit of what leads up to you finding out, you figuring out that there's something wrong. Because yeah. I think it's, there are so many of us that struggle in some ways with mental health. And clearly that's why we do what we do. Um, Jamie, I, I love you. And I'm not, I don't mean to correct you here, but it's important to me. So, yeah. and, but it's the words, right? You said, yeah. found out that something was wrong. Yeah. Right. And, and again, I'm not, that's not, a shot at you, but I think, I think that's part of, and we're going to get into it hopefully further down the road here, JP, but just because you have a mental health diagnosis doesn't mean there's something wrong. So, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead, JP. Oh, go Take it. it from there. Yeah. So, um, at the end of season of our fourth season, uh, with soccer, um, we lost to Alexandria and I kind of, tell people like it was like something inside of me like broke um and i just felt like this need to correct everything and to like be a fixer right hmm. and i went on like a basically from like december of that year through when the lockdown started yeah i wrote this curriculum and yeah i wrote this coach's companion guide and i hardly slept for like three months um, and I was going like a hundred miles an hour and then pandemic hits and I crash except for we didn't know I was crashing cause we're in lockdown. And so like, it's okay to sleep for 14 hours a day. Right. Cause we don't have anything to do. There's nowhere to go. And I'm just tired and obviously catching up, you know, um, and kind of came out of that and, and rose back up, uh, June and July like went crazy busy again and like hand cut two miles of single track in my woods. Cause again, it's the pandemic and uh, single track mountain bike trail. And you know, what else am I going to do? And then around the 4th of July, like crashed really hard and didn't get out of bed for like 10 days. Um, and 
and that time we still weren't sure what was going on. I look back in high, in retrospect now and I'm like, come on guys, this is obvious what's going on. Right. Um, but didn't want to get out of bed. Didn't felt like my arms weighed hundred pounds, felt terrible. Just wasn't excited about doing anything. Um, and then I kind of limped through the rest of the summer. Um, I found out August 4th, we were going to have a soccer season. High school league said, Hey, we're going to have soccer. That was so unexpected. And that shot me back to the moon. And I was like crazy energy again and loving soccer, feeling so energized when I was there. Um, and starting around when school started, um, I basically was feeling so energetic that I wasn't sleeping at night and we're rolling through this great season and I'm not sleeping. And eventually I'm not eating. Cause why do I need to eat? I have so much energy. Um, you know, and, and Jamie kind of gave away the, the punchline here, but like I it's mania, right? It's yeah. full blown bipolar mania. Um, and the week of the week before homecoming, we had had school pictures and I was really starting to come off of that high. And I remember sitting down for my school picture that day and the, the dude was like, smile. And it took me a while to get smiling because I was in my head thinking there's nothing in the world worth smiling about right now. Like I have nothing. And, and that's ridiculous, right? Because I have this amazing job and, and I don't care that my boss is listening. Like we have amazing administration here in Pelican. Yeah. Um, and I, I love working here. Okay. I have this great coaching job that is so energizing to me. I have this amazing wife, Anna, who I'm married to. And is the, like, you think about, okay, he had bipolar manic behavior for like the last decade and he's still married. Yeah. And I have, and I have five children. Like that speaks to how amazing she is. Right. Yeah. Um, and I have five kids um, that are in elementary school. And yet I sit down for my school picture and I'm like, I don't have anything to be happy about. Um, and that weekend, I remember mowing the lawn and I was listening to uh, a book and the guy was talking about somebody that committed suicide. And I remember having some like real hard thoughts about what that would be like. Um, and, and then as that was happening, my body was just starting to like fully shut down. And so walking into school a couple of days later, um, actually right outside your classroom, Jamie, I start collapsing on the stairs and I'm like, what is happening to me? Um, yeah. And it's, you know, September and 2020 and your chest hurts and you're panicking and you've got a high heart rate. And what do you think is going on? Maybe I have COVID and I have a, I, I had an amazing para at the time. And she just, I said, I got to go see the nurse. I don't know what's going on. And, and the nurse was like, just so on top of it. I got in there and she talked to me for half an hour and she's like, I would bet my whole paycheck for the next year. You don't have COVID, but you're leaving right now yeah. and you need to go to the doctor. Um, and you're going to tell your doctor that you need to talk about depression and, and anxiety. And because at that point I hadn't told anybody and I didn't even remember for that fact that like, there's a lot of bipolar on, on one side of my family. And, and so I was just like, she was like, you seem kind of depressed and really ridden with anxiety and went to the clinic and uh, ran in, had a new primary care that took care of me. Um, and she right away was getting what I needed. Um, but then the next day my sister called me and my sister's a doctor out in Michigan and she was like freaking out. And she was like, you, you told them about grandpa being bipolar, right? And you told them about there's other members in the family who are bipolar. And I just said, Nope, that doesn't, I didn't think that was relevant and didn't think it mattered. And she, uh, She's like, if they're treating you for anxiety and depression, those drugs will actually make you more manic. Um, and that's kind of found out later. That's kind of the canary in the coal mine for the psychiatrist department. Um, and so we got some help, but it, I kind of limped through the rest of the soccer season. Um, you know, and we, if you watch the documentary, I've had a lot of people talk about, you know, in my half times and my post and my team talks during like from that point on during the season, they're like, Oh, it was so good. And I'm like, guys, I, that was a lot of divine intervention there yeah. uh, because I was, I was kind of hobbling through the rest of the season, but. Um, can, can I ask yeah, a question? JP? Jump on, jump on in Jamie. So if it's not COVID, 
if it's not a time where we have a heightened awareness about some of the symptoms that you are feeling, do you yeah. think you, do you think you seek the help? No. no, because, because I wouldn't have thought this is like, so that morning when I start collapsing outside your room, my chest is hurting. My heart is racing. A lot of this run down feeling and like just feeling terrible. I've kind of had up and down like that for the last decade. Yeah. So I didn't think anything. It was just like, Oh, it's the time of year and it's the season and all that. And I think it was that we were a little bit, uh, you know, part of me is thinking, geez, if I have COVID, I don't want to shut my whole team down for the yeah. season. So I got to get this taken care of <laughs> and not be the one who ruins our season. Um, and obviously, you know, things happen for a reason when they do, but, but the timing of it was definitely, um, incredible. And I didn't actually get diagnosed with bipolar till December. You know, they, there's quite a process to go through and, and then finding the right meds and everything. Um, and then I didn't even, wasn't able to start counseling till April. Um, just be, I mean, you, we talk about there's a mental health crisis in this country, right? And you want a sign of it is that I got referred for counseling on December 1st and April 5th was the first opening they had. Um, and, and that's, that's the shape we're in as a country right now. And, and, you know, I think the, you speak the, to two things there that are, that are indicative of the crisis, right? Is that I would never have sought help if I didn't like see outside of myself in this particular moment of mm -hmm. life, where it was like, I don't need to shut our team down for something I, I am potentially in control of. Yeah. But the, the thing that we don't understand is that when we get to these states where we are in a low or we are in our, uh, an anxious or depressive state or a bipolar a moment of mania. Like we are shutting our teams and our families and our communities down anyway. We just aren't willing to say it because it's, it's not a physically, I don't know. It's not a physical manifestation of a problem. Right. And I don't know. I, and then obviously not being able to access the care that you need. Right. Is a huge problem. Yeah. And, and it's also Jamie too, that, we are, we have been conditioned and, you know, I think one of your friends, JP in the, in the documentary talks about guys specifically where it's feelings aren't meant to be felt. They're meant to be repressed and shoved and get through it and deal with it. And so I, th I think we've been conditioned to, to not say, Hey, this is, I'm not okay. Mm -hmm. And two, you know, you touched on this too, JP, where it's like, I never, would have thought it ha would happen to me, even though I have a history of it in my family yeah. like that. And it's all of us. Like, I think all of us have those thoughts where it's like, well, it's not going to happen to me, even though it happens to other people. Yeah. And, you know, Jamie, you and I have talked quite a bit about the idea of spectrums. Right. And yeah. I think something that I have come to fully believe in my work in mental health is that it doesn't, matter who you are, what walk of life, how rich or poor or educated or not, you're going to deal with mental health symptoms. And I see it as a spectrum. Like mm -hmm. we're all on spectrums of anxiety and depression and we have those symptoms. We are at different places in our life from time to time where we have different resources or people that can support us or things like that. But, you know, this idea, and I, this is why I love what you're doing with Hey, let's get the word out. Let's talk about the crisis. Let's talk about what's going on because there are so many people still that will say, you know, that, well, that doesn't, that doesn't apply to me. Yeah. Well, until it does. Right. Right. You, you never thought that you would ever get to, to a place where, or under even understand people contemplating suicide or being even entertaining the idea of this is a possibility for me. And then you end up there and it's like, yeah, it can happen to all of us. Yeah. And that was, so there's a lot of reasons I, I chose to share this, you know, um, one of the primary ones was like this misunderstanding I had always had about people being suicidal, right? I had always thought people who get suicidal are like so depressed and all they can think about is being sad. And then you get to that point. And then I went through it and those thoughts seemed as normal as getting a glass of water. And I didn't feel super sad. And like, the, like, I mean, obviously sitting down for my school picture and I say, there's nothing to smile about. That's one thing, but mowing my lawn thinking, yeah, 
Like, this seems like a good idea. That felt like a normal thought. And, and that was a light bulb moment for me of like, this is how people go from I'm riding bike with my friends one day to the next day they're gone and they seemed okay. And I think there's so many stories where, you know, my feed on Facebook in the last year, I think there's been five friends that I've seen, you know, basically take their life and everything seemed pretty good. Right. And, and it's really made me question after going through this myself of like, were people like actually checking in with them every day, Mm. you know, and maybe they were, maybe they were, but, but it see it, it was such a normal thought for me when I went through it and then talking to others who have also gone through it and they're like, yeah, it, it's not that you're sitting around rubbing your toe in the dirt, feeling sorry. Like when you're dealing with mental illness or m- mental health and all of a sudden you have those suicidal thoughts, they're just there. And if you don't have people around you who can jump in and be like, well, we got we to gotta get you help. You know, that's huge. And so, so that was that was part of the reason I wanted to share. Go ahead, Jamie. But what do we do, JP? Like, what do we do? This crisis is real mm-hmm. and we need to create systems in our schools, in our, our teams. And you talk a little bit about it in terms of creating this environment of safety. But yeah. how do we how do we broaden the conversation? How do we make it OK to say things that need to be heard? Yeah more broadly as men, as women, whatever it is, I, yeah. clearly the, the stigma is real with men in a way that is, is damaging and really bad for our culture. But how do we just open the door to this in a bigger way, period, not just sharing stories, but actually getting to a place where we can do something about it. I don't know that you have answers, but yeah, I, have I, don't, questions. I, don't, I don't know that I have a big scale, but like what we're doing right now is really important because what does it do? It normalizes conversation. The, the feedback that I've gotten from episode four um, has been like three main things. Somebody, I, and this has been kind of a weird experience having people walk up to me at a track meet that I don't know who they are, but I'm the guy in orange pants and they've watched yeah. the documentary. And so they know like, oh, he's wearing orange dickies. So we'll go find him. <laughs> the three things I've been told. Number one, I have condition X on the mental health spectrum. I felt really alone I feel less alone now because of your story. Okay. That's huge. Right. And and we get into, again, like Bible verses that mean something, right. Paul talks about in first Corinthians, basically our lives are a bridge to everybody else so that they can see the love of God. Right. That's our job is to, to let our scars be bridges to other people. Okay. So that's, that's number one. Number two, I've had people come up and say, my brother or my sister or some family member is bipolar and I never understood how they thought or what they did. And now I get it. Like I get it a little more, like you helped me understand it a little more. Okay. And then the third piece was, and this one was really hard and I'm not going to be able to say this probably without crying, but having athletes on my own team after they saw that come to me and say, this is how I felt for a long time. And I didn't know I had anybody I could talk to that was a grown up about this. Okay. And those are really hard conversations, right? And those are really hard things, whether it's an athlete or not, but especially when it's an athlete and they come to you and you say, look, I'm struggling with this. And I'm like, I'm struggling with it too. You know? Um, But this is how we normalize the conversation. And, and yeah, I would love to do it on a much bigger scale. Okay. We have some ideas about how to kind of have a, a mental health awareness night with a soccer game this fall that we're starting to kick around, but ultimately it comes back to stories like John, you have a story of your own life. And like, that is meaningful, maybe not with mental health, maybe it is, but with other people that you're going to interact with. And Jamie, you have stories that those are bridges to other people's lives. And on the mental health piece, like, yeah, obviously I'm banging the drum really hard now because I have a story that is relevant to other people. And, and when we start to talk about it, especially when I work in like, in the Somali community, they don't even have a word in their language for depression. Yeah. And so for years, Ottertail Public Health, our, our county's public health has asked me as somebody who's connected to the community, how do we talk about mental health with the Somali community? And I'm kind of like, well, I like me, <laughs> my story now is helpful because these people know me. I work with their kids. They've seen me. And when I can tell them, look, for the last decade, I've struggled with, with this. And like, it's okay to talk to your doctor about these things. Like 
that's a big deal. Um, and, and it's okay and, to talk to your community about these things. Yeah, it's okay it's, to it's, say, I am here. Yeah. Today. And it, do, it doesn't mean that instantly now the Somali community is like lining up to get help with depression, but it has started the conversation. And again, like everything we're trying to do, it takes relationships and it takes time. And when I say time, I mean like a decade or 20 years, you know, and sometimes we don't like to hear that because it's like, no, I want it now. And it's like, well, all these things take a long time. So I, I think the other part of this too, and JP, you, you touch on this in the documentary. And I think I want to shift us from, because so far it, it talking about the mental health stuff, it, it has, it's, it feels a little bit dark yeah, and it feels a little bit weighty. And yep. even though we're getting, getting awareness and we're trying to take down the stigma, it's not just about saying, okay, this is my diagnosis. This is what I experience. That's part of it. Yeah. The other part of it that I loved and I can't uh, wait to hear you talk about this is not letting your diagnosis or your symptoms limit you or define you. Yeah. Um, I think you say in there, you're, you're talking about not only, okay, this is, I have a diagnosis of bipolar, but, and this is what happens, but you also don't get the curriculum. You also don't get me spending an hours and hours researching and developing our identity. You don't get those things if I don't have these symptoms and experience life in this way. And I think that's, that was one of the coolest things that I heard you talk Super about powerful. in the documentary because I think so many people feel like uh, when I have a diagnosis, now it's debilitating. Now it's, I, I'm limited because of this. And you talk about, no, you're not limited. You're actually empowered. Mm -hmm. So feel free to take that wherever you want in terms of your experience. But I, I just thought that was an amazing um, challenge to all of us. Again, as we continue to tear down the wall of stigma around mental health, it's not just about this is what's wrong, right? This is the benefit also. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, as men of faith, we kind of look at it as like, God didn't make a mistake when he made me this way. Yeah. <laughs> like that there is a purpose for my life and there's things that will be put in front of me and I have been made this way for a reason. And, and, and yeah, like one of my favorite quotes that I, like I've been saying for years, uh, both in my classroom and in my teams is everybody is broken. Some of us are just a lot better at hiding it than others. Okay this idea that like we all carry brokenness, right? And, and, and obviously we're trying to like point people to hope in that, right? You, your, your hope is somewhere. But at the same time, we're all still broken even with that hope. We're still carrying around these bodies that aren't perfect, you know? And, and for a long time, I thought it was just a great quote, you know, that I would share. And then I was like, oh, this is holding the mirror up right now. Um, Isn't it always though, it, when, when we're sharing some, and this is, this is the power that I would encourage, even if it's not about mental health, even if it's not about like as coaches, hold the mirror up and then reflect it back to your teams. Let them see you as leaders, let your organization see you. And then the conversations start. Yeah. And when they start, I mean, I've had you know, we had Ryan Leaf on the podcast talking about substance abuse and we have some connection to that here at Eyes Up, right? And, and when I start to talk about that in my classrooms, guess what happens? I get kids talking to me about how it's affected their lives. And now I'm the one that's going to struggle to not be in tears, right? Yeah. Because yeah. those kids that bring it to you and they say, your story mattered to me, it changes everything right? It changes, it changes your ability to connect with them. It changes the love in that room. Yeah. And when you reflect that thing back, there's power in being who you are and embracing the things that aren't that outwardly that this, that society says aren't great about us, right? That, yeah. that have created challenges in us because we were created yeah. for the challenge that's next. And we have the skills and the tools to do what we need to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. There's a, there's a quote from Mandela, uh, Nelson Mandela about like uh, power and authority along with vulnerability are not incompatible. They go together. Right. And so like 
yeah, I want to create an opportunity for vulnerability for my athletes, but I'm also going to be vulnerable too. Okay. Um, which ultimately is why I end up sharing in the documentary. Um, because my original hope had been, I'm just going to keep to this, you know, I'm going to be in the periphery here and not be seen. But then when coach disappears for a week, like in the heart of the season, you know, I can't just brush that under the rug if I talk about being vulnerable and sharing our experiences. So that was a big piece, but John, getting back to your question of just like, this is who I am. Like, yeah, there's so much that I have accomplished as a teacher and a coach um, and, and times where I've been on leadership committees and, and we've solved problems. Well, guess why we solved the problem? Because I was able to stay up for three nights in a row and like grid out all these lines and show like, this isn't going to work what we're doing. We got to do something else. And people would be like, well, but what you worked on failed. And I'm like, that was the point, right. To figure out what wouldn't work. And, and so you can't, you don't get all that stuff. If I'm not bipolar, right. You don't get all the problems. You don't get all the positive things I do. That's also part of who I am. And I think sometimes it it gets back to that, like, Oh, you had a bad subsection race. Well, that doesn't offset the whole season. That doesn't mean you wasted your last 11 weeks. Like it all comes together, the good and the bad. It's all, it all works together. So JP, your story is incredible and it's powerful. And I, I hope and pray that this does move the needle in not only your community, as I know that it has, but in the communities that you impact and that you touch, and hopefully in the communities of the people that are listening today, uh, unbelievable opportunity to connect. I, we could continue to talk for hours. I know this is true. Um, but I, I'm just grateful that you were able to join us and share what you shared for for our listeners today. Yeah. Thanks for having me on guys. It's been, well, it's fun to be on this side of it and uh, just appreciate all you guys are doing to, to share hope and, and develop coaches. Well, any, anything we can do to help you or your program, your community, I, it, let us know where we're, we're there. Cause we, like Jamie said, we, we are fully in support of what you guys are doing and, and building a culture of connection and, um, and community. So thanks again. Talk to you soon. Yeah. Appreciate it guys. Thanks again to JP head soccer coach, track coach, Pelican Rapids, Minnesota. Another amazing conversation that we get to have about real stuff, Jamie, that impacts the lives of everybody. Now we're talking about communities, teams, individuals, everybody. So I, I don't even know. To me, the the thing that struck me and it hit me the most, I got chills when he said it, is that our lives are a bridge to other people, right? Our lives are a bridge to our communities, they're a bridge to our our families, they're a bridge to the people that we get to come in contact with. And I just like, in that moment, I stopped and was just like, man, that's powerful. Well, and he actually, so he said that and he also then said, let our scars be a bridge to other people, which was the other thing that hit me too, is just like, man, our failures can be that bridge, can be that connection to help other people that are dealing with similar stuff. And we, we don't do it nearly enough, right? We, we ignore the fact that it is a bridge. We ignore the fact that it can be the connective tissue that draws us together, that brings us into each other. And then we say, uh, it can't possibly do that thing. It can't possibly do it, right? But I think his story you know, we just recently had a friend of ours, Trevor Solom on the podcast, his story, you know, Ryan Leaf was on the podcast and his story. And I mentioned that in the episode, right? The, the things that we want to hide are oftentimes the thing that need to be there in order for connection, community relationships to happen. And we can't exploit it. We can't be doing it for the reason of drawing closer to people because that's insincere and disingenuous. But when we authentically bring our stuff to real conversations and as coaches, as leaders, we have to, we have to, otherwise we will not have the types of programs and communities that we want. And they will be, we will be the limit on our program. Our inability to go there will limit our program growth, our organizational growth. And, uh, that's the challenge for us, right? How do we do that day in and day out in the places where we lead? Appreciate you joining us today. I know that this impacts everyone. 
So as you're listening to this, I know there's people in your life that could benefit from hearing JP's story. And if it impacts one person to get help, to have a conversation, to make that bridge, Jamie, uh, that that's our encouragement to you. So please, you know, we ask you every week to rate, review all that stuff, but most importantly, share this, share this with somebody that you care about that, you know, can benefit. Appreciate you guys, Jamie, appreciate you. And as always, live eyes up.